On February 25, 1942, Ray Zeman sat quietly in his father-in-law's living room. The air raid siren had sounded four hours before, and Zeman had listened intently for the sound of enemy aircraft. As a member of the press, he needed to be ready at a moment's notice. Suddenly, at 2.25 a.m., the sirens kicked back on. The noise blared in each Los Angeles suburb. Zeman quickly grabbed his notebook and camera and ran out the door. He stumbled down the dark street until he came across a pair of police officers staring at the sky. He asked how many planes they'd seen. One estimated anywhere between 150 and 200. Zeman looked up, but he didn't see anything. He jogged down the street until he arrived at a police station. He asked them what they'd seen. A jailer confidently said they only saw seven fighter planes. A uniformed officer added that he hadn't seen anything. Just as Zeman asked a follow-up question, a flare burst in the air, illuminating the sky. Zeman's first instinct was to take cover, but one of the police officers explained that the Coast Guard was looking for submarines. Then, after a few minutes, the firing ceased. Shortly after, the sirens stopped wailing. Zeman found a payphone and called in his story. He made his way home and fell asleep around 5 a.m. The Battle of Los Angeles was over, but the mystery had only begun. For the next eight decades, people speculated on what had flown across L.A. that night. Nobody could come up with a concrete explanation. But is this because there was nothing to dig up? Or is it because the federal government covered up the truth? Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our final episode on the Battle of Los Angeles, a supposed aerial raid on the Southern California metropolis. Although hundreds of eyewitnesses spotted aircraft above the city, no concrete evidence exists of the alleged invasion. Previously, in part one, we discussed how Americans' paranoia skyrocketed after the surprise raid on Pearl Harbor. A February attack on the Elwood oil field only heightened tensions. And one day later, on February 25, 1942, the Battle of Los Angeles erupted. This episode, we'll dive into some theories that may explain the Battle of Los Angeles. Some people believe a paranoid government official wrongfully sounded the alarm on February 25th. Others suggest the battle was a bout of mass hysteria, and some argue it was the first wave in an extraterrestrial invasion. These accounts are all impossible to prove, however, because the federal government has frequently resisted any investigation into the Battle of Los Angeles. 
The biggest question then is why? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Battle of Los Angeles began after 3 a.m. on February 25, 1942. Coast Guard officers spotted unidentified blips on radar screens. Soon after, anti-aircraft personnel fired blindly into the air, but no one could agree on what was overhead. At one point, the spotlights focused on a particular location, illuminating one bright patch in the darkness. In total, 1,440 rounds of ammunition tore through the sky. At 7.21 a.m., the red alert was canceled and the blackout was lifted. Civilians and military personnel celebrated. They repelled the Japanese Imperial Navy. But later investigations demonstrated that this wasn't actually the case. No one could prove the invading fleet actually existed. There was no evidence that the supposed enemy planes ever fired on anything. Eyewitnesses claimed the aircraft were shot down, but the military never found any wrecks around the city. At the end of World War II, the Japanese Imperial Navy confirmed that they hadn't sent planes over Los Angeles on February 25, 1942. It seemed that the so-called Battle of Los Angeles was nothing more than a false alarm. But there's one big hole with that conclusion, a Los Angeles Times photograph showing eight searchlights focused on one spot in the sky. And in the center, a possible craft is visible, but too blurry to make out clearly. The photographer admitted to modifying the photo. They brightened and widened the spotlights so they'd stand out against a black background. But they didn't add the smaller lights around the object, artillery exploding in midair. Clearly, multiple gunners saw something in the spotlight and fired on it. Despite the barrage, the mystery aircraft was never hit or damaged. A witness stated, it was just hovering there in the sky and hardly moving at all. 
It was a lovely pale orange and about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. It was big. The ship eventually soared away from the spotlights and disappeared. There was no way that any normal aircraft could survive that barrage of ammunition. At least, no ordinary Earth aircraft. It seemed that Los Angeles was invaded by aliens. And if the craft really was from another world, no one in the War Department would confirm its existence. In her book, They're Already Here, UFO Culture and Why We See Flying Saucers, author Sarah Scholes explored the history of government alien cover-ups and why they happened. Scholes noted that the federal government was excellent at classifying information so it never reached the light of day. They never publicly acknowledged the existence of top-secret base Area 51 until 2013. And even then, they didn't say what it was for. Many conspiracy theorists believe it's storage for downed alien craft. Maybe even an extraterrestrial ship that crashed during the Battle of Los Angeles. In 1984, a UFO researcher named Jamie Chanderay claimed he'd received leaked classified documents about a top-secret government group called Majestic 12. The initiative was allegedly established in 1947 to investigate an alien aircraft crash in Roswell, New Mexico. They later expanded their scope to review all UFO or extraterrestrial sightings. Chanderay shared the documents with his trusted friends and colleagues within the UFO enthusiast community. Most of his contacts ignored the leak or dismissed it as fake. Or maybe they chose to distance themselves from Chanderay because they knew the evidence was dangerous. But author and UFO researcher Timothy Good couldn't be cowed so easily. He compiled all of Chanderay's findings in a book titled Above Top Secret. Good's book featured a letter called the Marshall Roosevelt Memo. It was dated March 5th, 1942, and it said that two unidentified aircraft were recovered after the Battle of Los Angeles. One ship plummeted into the Pacific Ocean, but naval retrieval teams recovered it. The other was discovered in the San Bernardino Mountains, just east of Los Angeles. The memo didn't describe the ship's length, other than to note that neither had a conventional explanation. The military had never seen anything like them before. The memo continued, this headquarters has come to a determination that the mystery airplanes are in fact not earthly and according to secret intelligence sources, they're in all probability of interplanetary origin. The details were frustratingly vague, but the conclusions were undeniable. Government officials believed that aliens fought in the Battle of Los Angeles. Extraterrestrial UFOs could explain why so many witness accounts differed. If the ships had some sort of cloaking device, they could have phased in and out of visibility. In conventional science, the term cloaking device refers to any technology that can help a ship evade detection. Stealth craft are often made of materials that don't show up on radar. But to date, there's no known way to make a ship invisible to the naked eye. 
But some alien enthusiasts believe extraterrestrial craft can disappear at will. According to the British tabloid, The Express, Londoners saw a strange triangular ship phase in and out of visibility on May 1st, 2018. They could only explain its vanishing act by concluding that it had a cloaking device. And in 2019, the U.S. government disclosed records from a $22 million program to investigate UFO sightings. Interestingly, most of that funding went towards stealth and aerospace research, as though the investigators had recovered cloaking technology and were trying to reverse engineer it. So if a fleet of alien craft sporadically activated cloaking devices throughout the night of February 25th, some Angelinos would have seen dozens of ships while others spotted hundreds. It all depended on when they looked up and how many ships were cloaked at the time. That could also explain why the radar readings were so inconsistent. Presumably, the cloak would also hide the ship from radar so the vessels would blip in and out of readings. There's just one problem with this theory. The FBI released a statement saying that the Majestic 12 documents were a complete hoax. But of course, that's what they would say if the aliens were real. But even alien enthusiasts have doubts about the authenticity of the Marshall Roosevelt memo. And in 1999, Timothy Good, the author who first released the documents in his book Above Top Secret, admitted that he'd been duped. Allegedly, the Marshall Roosevelt memo and the associated documents were all created by fraudsters hoping to invent evidence of a faux alien invasion. The hoax was discovered when another author, Timothy Cooper, claimed he'd uncovered more classified documents. But when Good reviewed the files, he noticed certain peculiarities in the typeface. They'd been written on the same typewriter. And typewriters, like snowflakes, are all unique. Every typewriter has quirks, punctuation slightly out of alignment, slightly skewed letters or irregular spaces. And on closer inspection, Good concluded that Cooper had typed the supposed FBI documents on his own typewriter. It's possible Cooper's faked reports were unrelated to the original documents Good published, but it does call all the allegations into question. The Marshall-Roosevelt memo is the only piece of evidence that suggests aliens had anything to do with the Battle of Los Angeles. And since Cooper's forgery discredits that entire leak, it's hard to get behind this theory. But perhaps in order to explain the events of February 25th, 1942, we have to look inward, not outward. The attack wasn't a real invasion, but one man's paranoia made manifest. The Battle of Los Angeles may be linked to a shameful story of mania, systemic oppression, and one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in recent United States history. Coming up, we meet the man who may be responsible for the Battle of Los Angeles. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. 
You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The most exciting part of a vacation stay at a home rental? Easy. It's being greeted upon arrival with a rusted lockbox affixed to the underside of a stranger's condo. Yeah, you simply twist knobs, click gears, jiggle it, and then rip it off its moorings. And voila! Your prize is a key to a questionable home rental and maybe tetanus. When you just want to get your vacation started by actually getting into your room, it matters where you stay. At Hilton, we deliver your key right to your phone on the Hilton Honors app. Hilton for the stay. Now back to our story. The alleged Los Angeles raid on February 25, 1942, baffled citizens. Alien enthusiasts suggested that UFOs soared over the city, but couldn't produce any concrete evidence to support the theory. Perhaps it was nothing more than a false alarm caused by paranoid leadership. 62-year-old Lieutenant General John L. DeWitt oversaw the Western Defense Command, a division of the Army that protected the West Coast. He managed 1,300 miles of coastline from Washington State to the Mexican border. On December 17, 1941, DeWitt received bad news from his colleague, General Walter Short. Short was in charge of military operations at Pearl Harbor, but mere days after the attack, Short was fired. DeWitt didn't want to suffer the same fate as his friend. Short had been asleep at the wheel, but DeWitt would be overly vigilant. So the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he ordered a blackout in San Francisco. But things didn't go according to plan. In the early morning hours of December 9th, 1941, air raid sirens blared through the city. But San Francisco didn't go dark. The lights at the Oakland Port Pier couldn't be turned off, so a local deputy shot them out. Neon signs left plugged in overnight illuminated the city. According to U.S. General William Ryan, the muddled blackout almost ended in disaster. He said that night, Japanese planes flew near the Golden Gate Bridge for reconnaissance. But for unknown reasons, they turned around and returned to the sea without launching an attack. There was no evidence to support Ryan's claim. Regardless, DeWitt was furious that his orders weren't completely followed. He told the city council, You people do not seem to realize we are at war. So get this. Last night, there were planes over this community. They were enemy planes. I mean, Japanese planes. We don't know whether he convinced the San Franciscans, but DeWitt sincerely believed there were Japanese spies everywhere. Saboteurs waited in the shadows. They'd jump at the first sign of U.S. weakness. And DeWitt hated Japanese Americans. He pushed President Franklin Roosevelt to crack down on Japanese civilians in the United States. Some historians believe DeWitt exaggerated his intelligence information to get what he wanted, the internment of the Japanese-Americans. On February 14, 1942, DeWitt sent a letter to Roosevelt that said, 
along the vital Pacific coast, over 112,000 potential enemies of Japanese extraction are at large today. The very fact that no sabotage has taken place to date is a disturbing and confirming indication that such action will be taken. That circular logic convinced Roosevelt. Five days later, on February 19th, he signed Executive Order 9066. Over 100,000 Japanese Americans were rounded up from their homes and sent to live in internment camps. Even though DeWitt accomplished his despicable goal, his anxiety didn't decrease. He continued to grip the West Coast in his iron fist. Cities enacted blackout measures and major sporting venues closed. DeWitt ordered the Rose Bowl, 20 miles from downtown Los Angeles, to be shut down. He thought it was too big of a target. DeWitt called many yellow alerts, meaning enemy planes were incoming in the early months of 1942. West Coast residents spent multiple nights in bomb shelters or peeking out from behind their blackout curtains. They scanned the skies for planes, but none ever arrived. DeWitt's paranoia was infectious, and it spread through the ranks. Captains under his command drilled their troops to the point of exhaustion. No one wanted to face disciplinary action if they were unprepared for a Japanese attack. After the Elwood Oil field bombing, DeWitt was on high alert. A day later, on February 25th, he heard that the Coast Guard had detected radar blips. He must have believed a big battle was coming. It was his chance to prove that his caution was justified. When DeWitt sounded the alarm, military personnel and civilian volunteers fired into the sky. Many couldn't see a target, but they shot blindly anyway. They didn't want to be disciplined for freezing in the midst of battle. But one soldier manning an anti-aircraft gun at Fort MacArthur in Los Angeles refused to shoot. His commanding officer ordered him to fire. The soldier asked what he was supposed to aim at. The officer told him that it didn't matter. Whether he saw something or not, just shoot. So the soldier got behind his weapon and fired at nothing. Hours later, a ceasefire was called. It became clear that the supposed Japanese attackers didn't exist. It's not hard to imagine DeWitt's frustration in the hours after the air raid. No enemy planes were shot down. No bombs dropped. The only damage came from American artillery shells. His response was a major screw-up, and he knew he was on the hook. However, DeWitt refused to admit that he'd made a mistake. Instead, he issued a statement praising the performance of his men during the enemy attack. The Secretary of the Army, Henry Stimson, tried to save face during a later press conference. He suggested that at least 15 planes may have flown over the west side of Los Angeles. He implied that Japanese soldiers could have sent scouts to locate anti-aircraft artillery installations. He raised the possibilities that the raid might have happened, but he never explicitly said that it had. Stimson was deliberately vague. And after that, 
Silence. Maybe Stimson and DeWitt hoped the story would just go away. But war correspondent Ernie Pyle was in Los Angeles the night of the alleged raid. In his national column, he described the scene, concluding that he didn't believe a battle had happened in the city. Other witnesses publicly expressed their doubts, too. During a hearing, the 1940 Republican nominee Wendell Wilkie quipped, A year ago, I was in London, and I'll tell you that when there's an air raid in Los Angeles, you won't have to argue about it. You'll know. But DeWitt refused to admit his mistake. Instead, he doubled down on anti-Japanese American sentiment. He continued to champion their relocation into internment camps. DeWitt explained, I don't want any of them. We got them out. They were a dangerous element. The West Coast is too vital and too vulnerable to take any chances. That was practically his motto. He never wanted to take any chances. As the war continued, DeWitt issued even more alerts and ordered more blackouts. All were false alarms. So in late 1943, DeWitt stepped down from the Western Defense Command. He was reassigned to the 1st U.S. Army Group under General Patton, but his unit was nothing more than a decoy. The Allies were preparing for their invasion of Normandy, and the 1st Army Group was key to their plans. The U.S. government wanted to distract German forces. So, intelligence agents dispatched messages about a fake invasion in the French town of Calais. When German spies intercepted the missives, they believed Calais was the key to the Allied invasion. The Nazi army sent several battalions to defend against the non-existent fighting force. The Germans were so convinced that the first army group was real, the battalions stayed in Calais for seven weeks after the invasion of Normandy. All the while, DeWitt sat comfortably in a London office building. It was oddly fitting that a man who'd caused so much panic after fake attacks ultimately ended his career in a fake unit with no real men at his disposal. He faded into obscurity shortly after the war. DeWitt never apologized or recanted any of his statements about Japanese Americans. In fact, he seemed proud of his time as the head of the Western Defense Command. His paranoia and bigotry directly caused his downfall. During his stint with West Coast Defense, he'd fostered an unhealthy culture of anxiety. His subordinates were always on edge, waiting for an invasion. It was only a matter of time before one of his yellow alerts got out of hand. And it seems that's what happened on the night of February 25th, 1942. It's telling that DeWitt was removed from his position afterward. There was no room for a jittery commander in the unit. DeWitt was lucky that more people weren't killed during the Battle of Los Angeles. As a reminder, five people died of heart attacks or car accidents, not friendly fire. And that's perplexing, because even if the raid was a false alarm, civilians believed it was true. Many people claimed they saw airplanes flying through the sky. They wouldn't have reported their sightings if DeWitt's paranoia was the whole story. 
But maybe his anxiety was an infection, and the people of Los Angeles fell prey to a bout of mass hysteria. Coming up, we'll take a deep dive into the psychology of the attack. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. Now, back to our story. On February 25, 1942, military officers and civilians in Los Angeles saw unexplained vessels in the air. Initial reports said they were Japanese airplanes, but those were later debunked. Some skeptics believe the ships were alien craft, or imagined by paranoid Lieutenant General John DeWitt. But the real explanation may be less straightforward. On the night of the attack, the 203rd Coast Guard Artillery Regiment in Santa Monica used weather balloons to test the wind conditions. The anti-aircraft guns had a range of 25,000 feet, but strong winds could blow long-range bullets off course. So it was important to know which direction the wind was blowing in order to adjust their sights. The weather balloon tests were standard, but that night, things got out of hand. Two large silvery weather balloons were released in Westwood and Santa Monica, both about 20 miles west of downtown Los Angeles. Each carried a highball glass with a lit candle inside to help the regiment track them. Shortly after the regiment deployed the balloons, Lieutenant Tim notified the control center that the test had begun. But before command could reply, all hell broke loose. One of the anti-aircraft station personnel hadn't been notified of the balloon test. And when he saw the floating pinpoint of flickering light in the sky, he fired. Other civilian defenders heard the gunshots, and they shot at the weather balloon as well. When Tim's team heard the gunfire, they immediately took cover. It's unclear whether they knew the volunteers were shooting at the balloon or if they thought a real enemy craft had been spotted. But in all the confusion, they lost control of their balloons and they drifted off toward the city. As they flew over Los Angeles, civilians spotted them and panicked. They knew the city was under red alert and that the military was mobilized. It only made sense for Angelinos to assume they were under attack. While people took cover in bomb shelters and blacked out homes, both balloons made their way down the coast. And the guns kept firing until early the next morning when the ceasefire was called. The next day, Tim reported to his commanding officers, 
He later recounted the experience. I was told to keep my mouth shut and that there had been seven Japanese planes up there. I was also told that if I repeated my story about shooting a balloon and not enemy planes, I would be put behind bars. Tim's superior officers clearly covered up the truth because they didn't want to be blamed for the five deaths and countless destroyed homes in the Battle of Los Angeles. Expert eyewitness accounts undermine Tim's theory. Angelinos told reporters that they'd seen dozens or even hundreds of Japanese aircraft. Some even described the V formation the Japanese planes flew in. Nobody would mistake a pair of weather balloons for a dozen fighter planes unless there were larger psychological factors at play. The Battle of Los Angeles sounds like a textbook case of mass hysteria. According to Professor Simon Wesley, mass hysteria occurs when a group of people share the same erratic behavior. Five criteria must be met in a true case of mass hysteria. First, the people all share unusual behaviors that cannot be explained by their physical condition. For example, a group of people may all start twitching even though they don't have any neurological conditions that would cause the spasms. Or in this case, Angelinos with no history of mental health conditions hallucinate the enemy airplanes. Second, the hysteria affects people who would not normally behave in this fashion. Speaking in tongues in a charismatic church wouldn't qualify as mass hysteria because that happens on a regular basis. But the people of L.A. didn't typically imagine attacking planes. Third, the hysteria begins spontaneously. If you played a prank and tricked a large group into seeing a ghost or a UFO, that would not qualify as mass hysteria. But in this case, Eyewitnesses across the city saw enemy airplanes with no more prompting than the call to red alert. Fourth, mass hysteria does not apply to fads or fashion trends. Mobs of people waiting in line to buy the latest iPhone aren't suffering from mass hysteria. Those same mobs reporting impossible airplane sightings might be. Finally, Mass hysteria occurs within groups of closely knit people. If isolated individuals in Maine and San Diego both report the same delusions, they wouldn't count. But even though Los Angeles was a bustling metropolis in 1942 filled with many diverse communities, most Angelinos had been through the same unifying experiences together. Other cities throughout Europe suffered regular bombings, but those countries were already embroiled in international combat. The United States hadn't entered World War II yet when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Americans had believed they were safe and the battles were far away until the unprovoked attack shattered all illusions of security. On February 23, 1942, a Japanese sub bombed Elwood Oil Field about 100 miles away from Los Angeles. This stoked their anxiety to a fever pitch. And even as Angelinos feared their invisible enemies overseas, they felt more unified with their friends and neighbors. They were all in this together. So when the sirens sounded in the pre-dawn hours of February 25th, 
people went outside, fully believing they were going to see planes. And they did. Witnesses saw what they wanted, needed to see, to justify their anxiety. And the Battle of Los Angeles wasn't the first possible case of mass hysteria, or even the most famous. In 1518, a woman in Strasbourg, France, began dancing in the street, and she claimed she couldn't stop. Strangely, dozens of people joined her. In a matter of days, 400 people all danced together. Some died of exhaustion, heart attacks, or strokes, but their companions still didn't stop. Likewise, historians aren't entirely sure what triggered the Salem witch trials in 1692 and 1693. A group of teenage girls claimed they'd seen visions of local men and women casting spells, consorting with the devil, and torturing them. It's possible the witnesses were lying, or the village's wheat supply was infested with a hallucinogenic fungus. Or perhaps the girls and the juries who heard their testimony were all caught up in the same mass hysteria. In 1938, writer, director, and producer Orson Welles broadcast his adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, War of the Worlds. The radio show used a mockumentary format and featured fake news broadcasts reporting on a fictional alien invasion. During the program, people all across the East Coast claimed to see extraterrestrial aircraft. These moments of mass hysteria are usually brought on by extreme stress and anxiety. They tend to occur during times of famine and hardship, as was the case with the Salem Witch Trials and the Dancing Plague of 1518. And War of the Worlds aired one year before World War II broke out in Europe. Even though the United States hadn't joined the fray, American citizens were certainly worried about the headlines from overseas. And those anxieties were definitely still present during the Battle of Los Angeles. The attack felt real to Angelinos, even though it never existed. A 1983 Office of Air Force History report concluded that this was the most plausible explanation. It said that the weather balloons released by the 203rd Coast Guard Artillery Regiment appeared on the Coast Guard's radar that night. They triggered the artillery barrage, and terrified Los Angeles residents spotted the balloons and imagined they were Japanese airplanes. In total, five people lost their lives that night. Homes and businesses suffered serious damage because of shell fragments and unexploded munitions. It was a deadly blunder, but it wasn't the only one to come from Lieutenant General DeWitt. He oversaw the Battle of Los Angeles and also championed the unwarranted detention of Japanese Americans. And that miscarriage of justice may have been the United States' greatest domestic crisis of World War II. Three detained citizens challenged the legality of their internment and took their case all the way to the Supreme Court in 1944. The court declared it was unconstitutional to imprison citizens who'd been found to be conceitedly loyal. But in a separate ruling offered that same day, they concluded that the camps were legal. Thankfully, they were nevertheless shut down at the end of the war. 
Detainees were permitted to return home, and in the years that followed, they demanded retribution for the trauma they'd suffered. It took over four decades, but in 1988, President Ronald Reagan offered a public apology for the internments. He also granted $20,000 in reparations to previous detainees. The justice came late, and it's debatable whether the apology or payments could make up for the years of unlawful and unethical discrimination. Perhaps it's impossible to ever make things right. There are no easy answers when it comes to the Japanese internment camps. That's the legacy of the Battle of Los Angeles as well. We'll never know for sure if the city was visited by aliens or fell prey to paranoia, but the mystery persists. The Battle of Los Angeles has fallen into relative obscurity over the past several decades. It inspired one of director Steven Spielberg's only critical flops, the 1979 film 1941. But other than that, it doesn't get much attention. Well, not outside of Los Angeles, anyways. Today, the Fort MacArthur Museum hosts an annual reenactment of the Battle of Los Angeles. Paying visitors can listen to live bands and sample local food until officials order the civilians to take cover. Then, reenactors fire blanks into the sky for a few minutes, then ultimately give the all clear. The event is advertised as a truly unforgettable night. The family-friendly occasion is a fun local attraction and a far cry from the hours of fear and paranoia that marked the original Battle of Los Angeles. But perhaps that's the ultimate destiny of all unexplained mysteries. They're reinterpreted and reimagined. Their rough edges are sawed off until we're only left with an unverified ghost story. Something to reenact with smiles and laughter, while old terrors stay buried in the past. So in times of stress and anxiety, keep your eyes on the sky and your feet firmly planted on the ground. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back on Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Battle of Los Angeles, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Battle of Los Angeles by Charles River editors extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Stephen Davies, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Teresa Watson, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. Thank you.